Obviously, you've noted the transitions going on around here, not the least of which is the organ process. If you look over where the bell ringers are, you see packed, uh, stacked up more parts that will go in to form the framing of the organ itself. And behind us, you see the beginning framing of what will be pipes going up each side of the window and the wonderful cabinetry that will cover it, which will match exactly the dark mahogany wood cabinetry that we have now. The process is in process, and uh, next week they will finish the framing after July the 4th. We will have the floors uh, completely refinished, and then after that, they will begin to install the pipes. It takes a long time for that, not only to install them, but to voice them, and we look forward to really hearing the organ in its fullness on September the 9th, but each week you'll see uh, more construction as we go along. This morning's text comes to us from the first book in the Bible, Genesis, and from the first chapter and the first five verses. And I chose this particular passage intentionally because I think it speaks directly to the word for us today about the power of word itself. May God give us ears to hear this word as I read from this text. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. A wind swept over the face of the waters from God. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This is the metaphysical darkness, the poetic separation between darkness and light, not the, between darkness and light, not the separation between actual day and night. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of the Lord. While visiting children and grandchildren last weekend in Knoxville, I had a reminder of how important what we teach our children is as they pass it on to their children Next, it might have been Father's Day, I can't remember the exact time, we were sitting around the couch talking the adults, and Finn, our three-year-old grandson, was playing behind the couch out near the front door. Nobody was really watching him, but I looked up when I heard something kind of go, <laughs> and I noticed at that point that Finn was into the silent wail that you know will be followed by the non-silent wail, which it was, of course, and our daughter Amanda, sitting on the couch with her back to Finn, apparently having a lot of experience in this, 
Then even turned around, she said, Finn, use words. Use words, Finn. What's the problem? He's wailing. Finally, she turns around to see that his finger is stuck in the door jam between the door and the jam itself. Apparently, it wasn't critical, but it scared him enough to set him off. But she went over and pulled him out, and, and he said, My finger's stuck in the door. He was able to articulate after the silent moan and then the verbal cry in sentence form what he was feeling. Use words, Finn. And as we regathered around the table after hugging Finn and sending him back to his trucks, he loves trucks, we began to laugh because that's exactly what we taught our own two kids when they were growing up. Use words. Because in using words, we knew they would find a power and an agency to be able to voice who they were and what they needed and to give them clearly defined boundaries about what they didn't need as well. Sometimes only crying and wailing will work. When you were stuck in some terrible place, pinched by life itself, only the crying of grief matters. Or maybe you're stuck in some place where you are not allowed to speak. Slaves were not given voice. The tyrant slaveholders did not give them the freedom to open their mouths in conversation. They began to sing instead and found power in those amazing spiritual songs to voice in song what they could not speak in person. Now, I think all animals have some form of communication. I know all of our three cats have that gift, each in their own way, with different meows, as did our dog with different wolves. But it is only we human beings who are set apart with the complex consciousness ability to imagine words and thought and come up with the right word that fits the thought and string those words together in complex sentences, Pam hopefully grammatically correct, to create a meaning and process in that communication style. As best we know, animals do not have that complicated communication ability. Who knows, but at least as we know now. And what this means, of course, is when the text says that God created man and woman in the image of God, what I think that means as much as anything is that to be in the image of God is to be able to speak and articulate and to imagine and to be able to recite history and tell story, and to be able to explain where you are at this particular moment, and to be able to envision 
and inspire in the future possibilities before us. To be human and made in the image of God is to have a past and to have a present and to have a future that can be spoken. And when we are speaking out of that, you see, not only are we most human, we are also most godlike. When I wrote the words that you received either by email or postal mail, hopefully you've received them. If not, this will be news about my leaving in a year. Let me emphasize, in a year. I'm not leaving immediately. I prayed and worried and anguished over what the right words to say would be. And whether I said the right ones or not, they're the words that came to me. And I was simply trying to express in those words the bitter, sweet reality that is before me of leaving you, this congregation I have grown to deeply love and been privileged to pastor, while at the same time feeling hopeful and open for a future that I do not know yet what will bring. And I have heard from you, many of you in text and email and today in hugs, your own words of congratulations. I'm not sure why you're congratulating me, but uh, because I don't, this doesn't feel like a congratulations. It feels like a condolence as much as a congratulations. But thank you for those words because I know they are heartfelt. The point is that I knew once I penned those words and sent them out that the die was cast, that the word has been spoken and there is no turning back. For that is the way with the word. After it has been spoken, a new world has been created. Like our text this morning. Apparently, as they were meant to understand it, God is sitting around in God's God place, looking out at all of creation, or what will be creation, and seeing there only chaos, darkness. The Hebrew word is tahum. It's, it's like a, an Irma hurricane times a million the dark, stormy seas, there's no land, there's no life, there's just blackness and storm and water everywhere. And God, seeing that and acknowledging that, decides to bring order out of that chaos, and God does it by speaking the word, let there be. And as the poem wants us to know, as God spoke it in however many eons or centuries or thousands or millions of years that it took, as God spoke it, it became so. Let it be. And whatever that creation was, physiologically or biologically or chemically or organically, theologically, it was simply chaos. It had no order. 
until God spoke order into it. And the whole process of that creation story is of how God orders the chaos with each particular day of creation saying, let there be, and after each day saying, and it was good, until the seventh day when God chose not to speak at all, instead to rest and relish in all that God had spoken into creation and enjoy it, giving us a paradigm, a Sabbath paradigm, that says at least one-seventh of our life should be spent in silence. But okay, six-sevenths with words. Because God is showing us that the ability and gift that we have been given in God's image is to speak order out of chaos in our own lives. And it begins by acknowledging the chaos. Every 12-step process of recovery starts in the same place. You have to stand up and admit you have a problem. You stand up and admit that you are in chaos and that you cannot order it yourself and that you depend on a higher power. And in admitting the chaos and darkness, you begin to draw words to bring order into it. Now, most of us are conflict-averse. We don't like to claim the chaos or the conflicts or the darkness around us. We'd much rather just sweep it under the rug, right? And sooner or later, we hope that it will go away. But what happens inevitably is that the more of the chaos and darkness that we sweep under the rug, the larger the rug gets until there is some moment when the rug explodes. And in that explosion, there is much collateral damage. I don't know if you've ever read the powerful children's book, There's No Such Thing as a Dragon by Jack Kent, but basically the story is that the young boy, Billy Bixby, wakes up in the morning and sees a little dragon sitting on his bed. He's about cat-sized, and he's docile. And so he calls his mother into the room and says, Mother, you see the dragon sitting on my bed? And his mother says, There's no dragon on your bed, Billy. You're imagining things. As soon as she walks out, the dragon gets a little bigger. He calls her back in. Mom, the dragon's still there, but he's bigger now. Not true, Billy, it's your imagination. She walks out, the dragon grows larger still. Every time the mother comes and denies the existence of the dragon, the dragon only grows larger and larger until finally the dragon begins to eat Billy's pancakes and takes over the whole house. The mother can't vacuum anything unless she climbs in through a ladder from the second floor window. The dragon is now that large. And eventually the dragon grows so large that he just simply stands up with the house on him and walks away. When Billy's father comes home from work, there's no house. And so he sees the postman and says, what happened? Do you have any idea? He said, yeah, this giant dragon walked away with your house. It's down the block, I think. 
And so the father goes down the block to see the dragon sitting there with a house on top, and he climbs in through the window and finds Billy and his mother over in the corner trying to survive. And the father said, what happened? And the mother says, Billy thinks that there's a dragon. And Billy says, Mom, there is a dragon. And finally, she sees it. She sees it. And in seeing it and admitting it, the dragon began to become smaller and smaller and smaller until it was finally the same size it was when Billy first saw it, docile, the size of a cat sitting on its bed. Conflict avoided results in dragons. Billy finally said when his mother asked, why did it get so big? Because Mom, it wanted to be noticed. Real communication is about truth-telling in love, about admission of our own darkness and chaos, of our terrible emotions and our resentments and our fears and our loneliness and our despair and our jealousy and our boredom. It's owning it, at least, and bringing words to it It's not shuffling it under the rug. And moment by moment, it becomes easier when we do that, as hard as it is, because it creates conflict. As hard as it is, when we do that, we find that the dragon gets smaller and smaller, and we find a little more peace. If we don't, the dragon grows so big it bursts forth like the storm in Noah's ark, and we haven't built an ark even though we intuitively knew that the storm was rising. Friends, it's never too late to use words to bring order out of chaos. And it starts with naming the dragon. This is what it means to grow up spiritually and emotionally. It is the first rule in Meninger's, the Meninger Clinic, guidelines for emotional growth, being able to accept reality. And this is how, in the end, redemption and reconciliation happen. This process, you see, giving us voice and words to speak to life, the good and the bad, the joyful and the tragic, this, this process brings voice to whom? Not only those who are in power, not only those who are in the center, it brings voice to those who have no voice. It brings voice to those who are on the outside of things. It gives power and voice to those who are on the fringe. And in this centripetal force, this God force that brings things back into the center, which is exactly what reconciliation means, God is giving that muted slave, which is what a slave is, has no voice, that muted slave a voice to speak out, to stand up, and to claim their right to be a human being. 
The people of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt under the power of Pharaoh, the tyrant, and he gave those people no voice. And Moses got so fed up by that that he murdered an Egyptian guard and in that ran away and hid his own voice and was mute as he, as he lived in the land of Midian, marrying, becoming just another shepherd, not wanting anybody to find him in his silence until God did, and by a burning bush called him forward and said, take off your shoes and listen to me. I'm giving you voice again, and I'm sending you back to the land of Egypt. Those people down there have been afflicted. They are suffering and they are slaves and their cry and voice has come up to me and I have heard their cry and I have seen the evil of their taskmasters and I am suffering for them and I am sending you as my voice to go to them and liberate them into the promised land where they will reclaim the voice I gave to them and become what I created them to be, human beings with the same voice as every other human being. And Moses objected, oh, I can't do that. I'll be found out. Moses objected, I'm not going down there. That's too much responsibility. Moses rejected it all and saying, send somebody else. And every time God said, no, it is you and your voice that I'm sending until Moses finally said, I have no eloquence and I cannot speak, God. Don't send me, I stutter. And God said, no matter, Moses, it's not your words you'll be speaking anyway. They're my words, and my words will flow through you when you need them, as the Spirit always gives us promise. And even then, Moses said, I don't know. And finally, God exasperatingly said, okay, I'll send your golden tongues, brother Aaron, to go with you. And when you stutter too much, Aaron can step up and begin to be eloquent for you. And we know what happens to golden tongue, eloquent people. They end up building golden calves because they're too slick. And their voice is not real. And Moses went and stood up to the Pharaoh and said to the Pharaoh, either you obey God's will and let my people go or there will be destruction on your household. And the Pharaoh would not listen and told Moses to sit down and shut up and told the people to sit down and shut up. And the Pharaoh began to rip the children from the mother's arms because he was the tyrant and he could do it. And we know what happened next. Moses said, let us go. And by the power of God, they were freed from the hands of the tyrant Pharaoh and they began their march through the promised land. Forty years of marching. And in that march, what did they do? They began to discover their own voice. And it was not until they claimed their own voice, their own speech, their own language, their own culture, 
were they finally ready to go into the promised land. And of course, as you know the story, Moses did not go with them because, well, the text says, because God was punishing him for speaking out one time an objection about something God had done around a rock. But I think the real reason that Moses didn't go with them is because the people didn't need him to go. They had found the voice of God within themselves. When the tyrants do all the talking, it is the job of the church, the body of Christ, the ones called to witness the word of God, to stand up and speak, to articulate a new vision where the lion and the lamb and the tyrant and the slave will lie down together and they will be able to speak to each other in love. It is our responsibility as the church, the body of Christ, the mouthpiece of the Word of God to call out chaos for what it is and to call order into it and to speak that new order over and over the way God does by speaking a new creation into into existence and by telling the truth in love and not arrogance and not anger and in not resentment or righteousness but love by bringing light out of darkness. And this is the movement. This is our movement for reconciliation. From silence and muteness and no voice to crying and wailing to articulated speech that makes us God's free human being in God's image and frees the world around us too. This is the movement for reconciliation that we are called to travel. And, and, and no matter, remember, no matter whose voice it is that's preaching up here, that doesn't matter either. What matters is your voice. Your voice as the people of God. That's what matters. Speak it loud. Amen.